And, but then when I said in the email, maybe you have a mimosa. And then like that idea got into my head and I like literally got up from my desk, went across to the corner store and got champagne and orange juice. Like I'm gonna make a spritz. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got a garçon I can call and he, he shall provide for me. So, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to seriously call a garçon here for just a minute. Andy. Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about antiquity, film, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. Today, we're going to be talking about Blood of Zeus, a Netflix animated series created by Charlie and Blast, Carla Panides, and produced by Powerhouse Animation Studio. And also joining us today are two very special guests. First, coming back for the second time, the wonderful Dr. Christy Vogler. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. I'm excited. And also joining us for the first time, we're very excited about our colleague at UT, Zoe Thomas. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. We were kind of torn. I'm actually really, this is perfect because I really wanted, because I know both of you independently wanted to talk about this show. And I was like, well, like maybe we'll like do one and then the other. And I was like, it. like, let's see if we could get both on and then we can get both on twice. So we're going to be doing this in two parts. Hopefully we don't run out of it, you know, say it all right now, but we're going to be talking about the first four episodes, so spoilers for those who haven't seen Blood of Zeus, uh, though it's been out for about a year now, I'd say, maybe a little less. But yeah, uh, let's. Well, so we'll start with our the, the the classic titular question we always start with: Do you dig this show? Um, so I had when it first came out, I was super excited for it, and I watched it all the way through, and I was like, "Oh, I absolutely love this! This was so many great things," and then. When I knew I was going to be doing this again, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it again. And I got through episode one with that more of like, all right, I'm going to be critical this time. And like, I ended up chatting to Lige about it for an hour just because uh, I started to nitpick so many things. I'm like, oh no, am I going to do this? Like second blush, it's not that great. And then um, this morning I watched the next three episodes. I'm like, no, no, no. Like everything I was like never liked about the show really shows up in the first episode, but then you get past it and it just, it starts to be great. And I think I dig it so much because it's doing something a little different than a lot of the sort and sandal films where like you're retelling a story and they're coming out saying, it's like, no, 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 this is how myths work. Um, some versions get written down and remembered. Um, this one wasn't. So now we're telling you this story. And so like, Everything is familiar and yet it's different. And I I love that combination. It's something I hadn't really seen before in media. So I definitely dig it. Um, I dig a lot of it. Um, but there's also a lot that I would like to leave unexcavated in the ground. <laughs> no, no, we, we commit to the bit and like that, that is, as many like dig metaphors as you can. <laughs> um, and I mean, I'm happy to, uh, let's see. Uh, sift through everything that yes, I yeah. dislike, um, but uh, I, I really, I, I dig it as a premise. I think, like Christy said, it's doing something really interesting. I love the whole framing of oral mythology. You know, this can be canon. No, who's to say this isn't canon, right? And I think that they, I think there's a lot of potential. I get hung up on some things that I'm sure that we'll talk about because I too texted Eli today and was like, Eli, 
Um, Because like Christy, I had watched this show before and had thought about it quite a bit before that, which is how Colin knew I wanted to talk about this. Because I remember <laughs> saying to Colin, I was like, I have a lot of thoughts. About yes, this show. I remember we were hanging out or something and you and you said and I had I hadn't seen it yet. And you were like chomping at the bit to talk about it. <laughs> so I guess I can I provisionally dig? Can I, provisionally um, dig. <laughs> I test trench this. Yes. <laughs> Double test. Yes. Oh my God. I, I realize also, yeah, this is unusual because we have three archaeologists in the, the, the room. I do. Air <laughs> um, so yeah, I, this was my first time watching this. I did not previously watch it and I have only watched the first four episodes. So I, I haven't even finished. I'm doing this for real. <laughs> and I, I kind of, I kind of don't dig it. I, I'm sorry. I like <laughs> had to sit with myself. I'm like, what don't I like about this? Like what's, what's happening? And maybe it's just like, not for me, which is fine. I really like the monster design and I'm sure that's something we'll get into more, but like, I want, I want like the dark elves to be the main character. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. They are dark elves. For a split second, I'm like, wait, did Eli watch the right show? <laughs> you watched Castlevania instead. I know it's the same artist, yeah. studio or whatever. Same but no. studio. No, no, yeah. no. I watched the right thing, but they're dark elves. I'm sorry. It's what they look like. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of bored with the human characters. And yeah, I, I mean, we'll, we'll get into to some of this, but I, I don't think maybe it's just not for me. I, I, do, I don't dig it, guys. Yeah, I, I think I, I had kind of the reverse of Christy because I think Zoe was the one that told me about it. And then I kind of came in with a lot of like one is I really, really like uh, Castlevania. And this kind of like was by the powerhouse animation um, who actually are based in Austin, Texas. So a little shout out there. And so it was kind of like, oh, this, I had really sort of high expectations, but then I had also heard some some stuff about some of the characters. And then so I was coming in, like looking to be super critical, like on the first go through. And then having rewatched it again this time, kind of easing off. And I think I'd like, I think I dig it a lot more the second time as like, cause I'm not sort of, I was really, I think looking to dislike it the first time, which is unfair. And that's that's not that's my sort of failing as a viewer. And, but there are some there are some things that I really do dig about the show. Um, I like that it's trying to do something new. I really like the, the art style and the animation. The character design I think is excellent. Uh, the music I think is 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 fire. Oh, it's so good. And the, the sound effects, great. like yes. there's just sound effects that are so well done in place with the music score that like. It mm-hmm. does create that supernatural element. Yeah, and it has very much like, and we, we'll we'll talk about sort of hopefully later this the future seasons of the show because it is going to be coming back but like with the like castlevania was really like just so beautifully animated and dynamic and the way everyone moves and it's got some of that i think it's got a smaller budget than particularly like later um there are some of the story choices and character choices that don't work so much for me and i think the, where it really comes down is like the thing i like think that really works talking about castlevania we're probably, I'm probably going to be talking about them a lot, is that the core <laughs> characters are really sort of dynamic and interesting. And just, I could sit in a room and just watch like Trevor and Alucard, like tell each other to <laughs> off all day. Uh. Um, and, and Cyphus, like they're all very, like they're very sort of engaging characters and that really sort of like make the show work. And I think like particularly Heron for me is kind of the part that, that he's, a, he's a little bland for me. Um, and him. the other characters are more, 
are more interesting. One other thing is I also really like the the design decision to just make every character, especially the gods, but but all the other characters, to just make everyone like super hot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just every single person is just rippling in muscle. It's great. Unless you're like mm-hmm. a middle-aged man. And then yeah. you, you unless well, you just dressing down, half, right? So yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> or yeah, or you're the Acrisius or like those guys, like, and you just have that like villain beard that like oh, chin Okay, beard. listen, oh I would God. say I would say Acrisius is hot. Let's. I'm just gonna out myself here and <laughs> say that I think Acrisius is hot. We don't see him that much, but uh, <laughs> I like when he gets stabbed, though. Yeah, by Electra. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He reminds me a lot, actually, and this this is sort of coming, but he reminds me a lot of the villain from Ninja Scroll, which actually I think, no, I'm, I'm being completely serious. I forgot what's his name. Uh, but he has like a very similar, like kind of like his face is like a big rectangle. Like he's very sort of tall and kind of mm-hmm. r- a lot of right angles. It looks very similar. And actually, like so the, the creators, I was going and, and listening to some interviews and reading some interviews with the creators, and they are really just like, and I think at like reading and hearing them talk about it, uh, Charlie and Blast, Carla Panides, I kind of like am more endeared to the show because they talk about like they are heavily influenced by Japanese animation. I think that that's powerhouse. I mean, that absolutely shows it's very anime-esque. They're also Greek. They're second generation immigrants. And they talk about sort of like the stories that they kind of grew up with and wanting to. And it was like they talk and it was very endearing. They talk about like it was really heartwarming for them that the show was well received in Greece. Oh, uh, which so like meant big. a lot to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and then they're just kind of like these nerdy guys. And it actually was kind of interesting. The the premise for the show or the, the, the origin was that they originally pitched it as like a, a real like live action sort of anthology, sort of like American Horror Story, um, where one season would be one myth. And the first season they wanted to do was was Daedalus and Icarus. And then the, the sort of uh, producers that they were pitching it to were like, well, what about later seasons? And they started talking about like, well, we could do these other myths because it kind of intersects like, you know, with Theseus and, and, and this and that. And then that turned into like, well, what if we just like took all the myths and just sort of like kind of put them together? Because that's kind of what this is. This is sort of like yeah. all of all of mythology kind of in one. Like it really hits all the all the main beats of like a Greek myth. It does. Yeah. There's even like a the full hero's journey, at least in the first, you know, four episodes that I've seen. He has like the call to action and then he refuses it and he throws the sword away. And then we mm-hmm. have way too much backstory, but I assume <laughs> that it will keep going. <laughs> Actually, I think this is what set it up really well of why we split it up four episodes, because I think we've gotten all the backstory, especially for building. I love that they're using twins. And there's kind of that reveal at the end of like, oh, you effed up. So, um, mm-hmm. but they're also both hero stories, just different versions. So like yeah. one is an actual divine, like semi-divine person. He just kind of is ostracized and everything like that. And the other one is like nursed by a she-bear, championed by a goddess. And you're like, well, dang, all right. But one's corrupt and the other one is kind of whiny and (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but like I don't know that you're supposed to like them like I don't like most heroes in Greek mythology they're all a little eh half the time yeah Mm -hmm. but I feel like with Heron he doesn't even have I don't know like a bad streak it's like he's goody goody like he's trying to help the guy with the broken leg he loves his mom he wants right. to do the right thing. And I'm like, I'm bored. <laughs> I don't yeah. <laughs> Seraphim is a much more compelling character because he is flawed. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because he has a very strong goal in mind, which is, you know, reclaiming power in a world that has denied him and is going about it in extremely flawed ways. Maybe I just really like that character type, but um, <laughs> he's way more compelling than Heron. <laughs> I just... Heron yeah. is Perseus and um, versus Seraphim is more like Her- Heracles. Hercules. Like there's a lot yeah. going on there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. That's really the main, I wrote down that they're, it's kind of a, it's a Perseus Hercules kind of mashup mm-hmm. going on with these characters, like with the twins and, and their sort of their story of their birth. Zoe mentioned like sort of like the ostracism. Like I was kind of wondering, I'm like, what is the show about? And then when I was reading interviews and listening to the, to the, the Parlopanides brothers talk about it. And there are two things kind of really stuck out to me, which is one is kind of about part of it is in part about sort of being ostracized and isolated, which is, I think, super clear in both the protagonist and the antagonist stories. Uh, but it's also about anger. And they talk a lot about like that, like the, the arc of the character has to do like they're all very angry characters, particularly like Heron, Seraphim and Hera. Who I think we're going to have to we're going to talk about it next. But it's all about like how they handle anger. And like, like you said, like Seraphim kind of channels it in very destructive ways and, and, and is corrupted by anger. And Heron, I think we're going to see, is going to kind of move past his anger. And so when I was thinking about it like that, it's like, I think I started to like the show a lot more that it's sort of about anger, which is a very sort of classical. They talked a little bit about like Aristotle and they really actually, they mentioned Aaron Sorkin a lot as like an inspiration for like the way they design characters for thinking about like so want. weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like I've heard it, I heard it in like at least two different interviews. They they, they name dropped Aaron Sorkin. They're like talking about like realizing what characters want. And for me, with Seraphim, I think it's much clearer. And I think they're also just much more interested in Seraphim. And I think it translates. And Her- Heron is a little bit of like a he's almost like an archetype. Yeah. It's he's like a he's red herring because... for Seraphim, who's yes! the main character. <laughs> a red heron, if you will. A red heron. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Um, well, I do really feel like I have watched a movie to like the midway point. And maybe this is sort of the bad thing about doing this in two different like sections is that I, I literally feel like I've just seen like the setup and then way too much backstory. And I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. like ready for the actual story now. So I'm I may be looking forward to to finishing this up and maybe I will have a different opinion <laughs> next well, next and, time. And going back to one of Colin's earlier comments, I think what was so true for me was that I didn't care about the human stories. I cared about the gods and what they were doing. And it felt very authentic to who they were and how they would have interacted with each other or in ways that I wouldn't have thought of like Hera literally calling every other one of Zeus's kids bastards. I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. there's another one of you. Hate you too. And it's just like, that never, sometimes it comes across in like Homer and stuff, but like you could tell Hera would just be bitter about a lot of those and how uncomfortable it would have had to have felt to be like, well, I'm an Olympian God with Hera. That's great. (laughs) One of the ideas they've sort of talked about with other, in like, fleshing out either like future seasons or even spinoffs is like is talking about like origin or like early stories they talk a lot about like hermes in particular who also by the way is voiced by matt mercer for any critical role uh, fans out there that's what but he says very little but like doing like doing stories like kind of that anthology thing of like you get this sense like they you you know that they know and like that there's like a, there's this whole backstory going on like with hermes and his relationship with Ares and apollo and zeus and hera and the way they kind of interact it all feels very like deliberate and thought out and sort of fleshed out, um, even though we only see like just the tip of that iceberg. 
Yeah, I appreciated that they sort of called Zeus out on his bullshit for being like, you said we weren't allowed to intervene. And he's like intervening all over the place. And it's like, <laughs> well, thank you right. for like acknowledging it. Because I feel like that's usually such a weird, like, what are the powers of the gods? Like, what are the rules? Like, how are they, you know, dealing with this with internally? And what is, do they all have the same opinion about, you know, mortals or the world? And so I appreciated that just as a story, them calling it out and being like, we do have arguments about this. And that was cool. Yeah, we had to read the, I have my students read the Iliad for one of the history classes I teach. And um, one of my favorite moments and like, it's like the more you know about actual myth, the more you pick up on. So like the fight that Hera and Zeus have, it's like, oh, this is very familiar. But Hera's pulling out like, I was queen of the heavens first. And, and you know, you tie that to Olympia and it's like she had the older temple and Zeus is like, well, not now. And in the Iliad, like there is that fight where, you know, Zeus wants to save his son, Sarpedon. And all of the gods are like, no, like you cannot do this we will go on strike. And so he's limited in his power. And we see that play out in this moment. And it just makes me so happy because they are addressing some of those what ifs. And I think that's, I have some gripes about Hera, but what I love about Hera is like the question's always been, it's like, she was a very powerful being. What would happen if she finally just snapped? And that's what this show does. And that is probably the part I love the most. Yeah. So I feel like Zoe has feelings about Hera. And I, want, <laughs> I want her to talk about them. So um, I love Hera as a character in the show. I love how powerful she is. The scene where they're having that argument and he says, you mm-hmm. know, something like, answer me. And she responds with like, I don't answer to fools and just walks away. And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, <laughs> go Hera. Do it. Do the thing. But I... I guess um, what frustrates me is they set up this great premise of mythology is oral histories and this could be true, but it's not. They set up this ability to invert a lot of things in Greek myth that are fascinating intellectually, but quite damaging socially, particularly, you know, patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all nodding. You can't see in the podcast, but we're all like nodding. Stand with Olympus women is going to be my, uh, my <laughs> vibe right now. But there's a lot that I think that they could have worked with that they didn't, that they decided to replicate the traditional story, which is a choice and that's fine. Right. I didn't make this so of course you know I might have differing opinions about how it should have been done but I think it would have been really really compelling to not have Hera be a villain because she is a villain or villainized often in Greek myth specifically with Zeus and of course for us nowadays we can say well yeah he was a philanderer he was cheating on her you know violating the contracts of their marriage etc and in our contemporary society that would be frowned upon for the most part and i think it would be very interesting to play with that with the fact that zeus does cheat on hera a lot and the fact that he doesn't really get consent from electra before they start their whole relationship and instead have the reaction from Hera not be villainized, but instead be supported by the show of like, actually, it's okay for a woman that's been used by a man like this and been, you know, supplanted, right? She says, 
I was queen of the heavens first. And he says, were, you know, like it would have been really interesting to give Hera the chance to not get in trouble in the show for being angry. And I think that's something that Greek myth struggles with is female anger and letting Mm -hmm. women be angry. And I think that's something we continue to struggle with. And I think it would have been really cool to see that happen. So I, there are things that I don't like about the way that they handle Hera's anger. But again, (laughs) no one called me up to make the show. So, you know. (laughs) I was just going to say they, they ultimately, for Elijah, who hasn't seen the thing yet, I I won't give too much away, but they, they, right now she seems in power and yeah, she's anger. But ultimately at the very end, the kind of cliffhanger reveal is like, actually someone else orchestrated the whole thing. And it's so frustrating. Like that was the one thing about this show that like made me so upset because again, I was really excited for the Hera's going to snap one day, deservedly so. And what might that look like? And then in the end, we're just kind of shown she was being manipulated the whole time. And I'm very frustrated by that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into with the next section. I don't want to talk too much about the future episodes because I want to have stuff to talk about next time. But um, they do a lot more with the women, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, with Alexia in those later episodes. So I am kind of curious to see just like what in the world is there left for Zeus to do in this show? Because I feel like he like showed up in the beginning and had sex biting our tongues girl and i'm like what's he gonna do he's just i want him to be the villain or get some sort of comeuppance because i don't i don't like zeus it's annoying Lige, i'm so glad that you are the one who has not watched the whole thing yet because (laughs) next time we talk it's going to be fun (laughs) on the i have like so many things like so that really just informed by like a podcast i listened to yesterday where where they were talking but it's interesting because like the way they, the creators talk about Hera, they talk about her in like very endearing terms. Like they, they describe her as their favorite character, which is, is very interesting to me. And I think part of it is I'm curious to see where it goes because they talk about like with the anger, the anger motif that Hera is changed by their anger. And then their plan, at least as they were describing it, is for like in the second season for Hera to have like almost a sort of redemption arc or, or like a her sort of coming into the fold and sort of taking over. Because I agree that she is, they they say that she's not a villain, but she she really, I think, teeters a little bit over that line more than a few times in a yeah. way that she doesn't. Yeah, yeah, in a way that like I I like I with everything Zoe said that she is more villainous than she necessarily needs to be. They made her birds crows, and I hate it. I want peacocks everywhere. Ooh. I want them spying everywhere, and just <laughs> everyone's like, "Yep, there's a peacock." That's oh, real man, subtle. But those creepy screams, that would be mm-hmm. perfect. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot in her character design that also makes her sort of villainous. She's got the like, I'm a sexy femme fatale outfit yeah. with magical braless dress that still stays in place all the time. And <laughs> she she does the, the very um, common sort of under the eyebrow look up smirk thing mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very much like ooh I'm a conniving little villainous person <laughs> it makes me excited for season 2 though and then I'm like yeah. oh cuz i think she's so interesting she's so dynamic and i think that's why i get so interested in her 
And she's very much like almost like a kind of a Medea-esque figure where we, we were talking about female anger. Medea is like the, the the female anger character. And like, again, where it's like a case where it's like very, very justified. But then, you know, everyone's very sort of divided over the way that the play in particular, but the whole myth plays out with what Medea does and to her, to her children and everything like that. Even though there is a lot, like part of that story is really kind of zeroing in on like very real injustices experienced by women ostracization again exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah when i when i teach the media one of the, i i really sort of like try to do like extra work of, or like explaining of like how in such a precarious situation she is as a character because of that she's she's not greek and then she she's a woman and she's if she's unmarried and that is like literally like what jason does to her is more than just like a, a sort of slight against the relationship it is actually like imperils her very physically but that's another that's for another time i did <laughs> um I wanted to mention, so there's two two things. I'll, I'll start with the first, but I, I liked the kind of direction to go with Zeus that he kind of, he reminds me of like a Robert Baratheon type where he used to be this great hero who had like a moment of glory and was like, you know, kicking butt and like saved the day. But then he like adjusts very poorly to like actual peacetime rulership mm, um, yeah. and like doesn't really know what to do with himself. So he kind of like, you know, like screws around and like, you know, indulges in every vice. Like, if he weren't like a god, this. he probably would have like put on a lot of weight or something. Or like, yeah, I was like, really where's Zeus with go. the pot belly? That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, he to me reflects the hero after the heroic event. Like so much, mm-hmm. like how Jason goes out, how Theseus goes out. Like they are, they do not make good old men. They make great young heroes, and then they do the things, some of which might be questionable, and then. They do stupid stuff, and a lot of people kind of pay the price for that, including the hero themselves. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that was intentional, but it worked out really well mm-hmm. in this regard. So there's also the aspect I had a I had a moment, another moment of revelation when I was just looking through some IMBD pages, and I saw that the Peloponnese brothers also worked on another move. Well, there's two things, both of both of which Eli and I have reviewed. Oh, is they shit. were shut out as writers. They wanted to work on the Clash of the Titans in 2010, but they were <laughs> shut out. And they went in turn and wrote another script oh, called Immortals. Directed by oh, no. It makes so much sense now. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and when I learned that, because Immortal, both Clash of the Titans, Clash of the Titans has a similar thing going on where there's that element of like, the gods kind of suck. Yeah. And mm-hmm. maybe we shouldn't, you know, like kowtow to, kowtow, is that the word? Kowtow? Whatever. They, we shouldn't, uh, um, you know, uh, pay tribute to the gods. I'm going to edit there all that go. out. Uh, and then, but Immortals, it had, because like one of the main, I think, the core questions of Immortals that I, we, Eli and I talked about the movie doesn't really explore satisfactorily is like, why don't the gods kind of come down and, and help more or like do more? And Zeus has a throwaway line for something where it's like humans need to figure stuff out for themselves. Yeah. And then here's a rabbit. And it's like, and I love that little line from Electra, what would we do without you? So it's like undercutting what he just said. Yeah. Well, it's I'm, yeah. I'm thinking back to Immortals and it's like they break the rules in that too. They just don't really like, yeah, it's not a satisfactory answer for like, what rules are we breaking and why? But they totally come down and help everybody all the time. Um, yeah. But also, yeah, there's like the whole thing with the hero and his mom. Doesn't Theseus have like a whole thing with his mom mm-hmm. in Immortals? Oh, oh it's, it makes it's so it's much very, sense. It's, it's, it's very similar where in that movie, Henry Cavill watches his mom be killed yeah. by the villain. 
And then like this, the exact same thing happens in this show. And like it was my sort of like where I kind of got a little hung up was like, I sort of, I understand kind of the idea of like why the gods like are like, maybe they should stay out of things. Um, Cause if they mess around, it's going to mess around too much. But then this is, aspect of like Zeus sort of like adhering or like mandating these arbitrary rules in a sense like creates more trouble like they could have just like at some point like he becomes kind of Zeus in particular kind of becomes a villain because he could have stopped this at like any point and like he is also intervening in like a very big way like he gives Heron which we he hasn't gotten it back he gives him the fancy sword which is also also like straight out of Clash of the Titans like almost the exact yeah. same thing happens in that yeah. movie um, where the hero gets a magic sword and it's like, I don't want it. I'm an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also like, yeah, like Zeus. I mean, well, in myth, many of the things Zeus does are sort of very objectionable. And yes. in this, it was really bad. Like his whole relationship with Electra is like so deeply, for lack of a better word. Um, but well, still like true to Zeus. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's borrowing from what Laden in the Swan and like, yeah, mm-hmm. nailed yeah. it. Her- well, Herod, and then yeah. who is the who is Dionysus's mother? The uh, uh, Semele. Semele, yeah. who you know, he like she fort tricks him into revealing his form and then mm-hmm. burns her up. Like that's also, mm-hmm. I mean, Electra doesn't burn up, but his first reveal, you know, she catches him in the yeah. act, so to speak. And which I loved, by the way, I loved her just holding a dagger to his neck. And I was like, Electra, I, I really like you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she, she's, he's like gaslighting her basically, right? hundred I mean, percent. Well, he's catfishing, I guess, more, yeah. <laughs> more accurately. He's masquerading as her abusive husband i can't the amount of trauma this woman must have truly and then but then also he when he lives with them he lives as like not as her like husband or whatever he lives with them as like their kind uncle right and then (laughs) it's like ah but women like ah humans need to suffer to grow strong it's like yeah, Hero's right. Like, the, his his reign's up. Yeah, but so I had never made this connection before. I think it's really interesting to think of Zeus as, like, the washed-up hero who's trying to get back to glory days. Because he has that line where he says, if humans want to inherit the Earth, then we can't be involved. So there's this idea that there's a transition happening, that the gods are fading out. It's vaguely Norse to me, of, like, you mm-hmm. know, Ragnarok is coming, the gods are... The, the end is coming for the time of the gods. It kind of it's, goes against Zeus as a character because right. he's always fearful of being replaced by a son. So this is yeah. a little ironic. And and so he's both, you know, saying that it's time for this transition to happen, but he's unwilling to let it happen because he's constantly intervening. It's, yeah. it's kind of an interesting thing that, you know, you're delightful <laughs> discussions have just brought to my brain this inability to let go yeah and he also has a sort of thing and i think the writers are, are very cognizant of this is like zeus just like in the sort of myth as we understand it zeus has a very kind of fraud like you could do a whole sort of freudian reading of like the, Ooh, the yeah. origin stories because it's all like he has he has no relationship with with his father and like his father had no relationship with his father it's all fathers killing sons um, and he has his relationship with women. I feel like you could just expound upon sort of at length just because he's sort of raised by his grandmother and has all these, he has a very sort of complicated 
and troubled relationship to women in his life. Um, and then Zeus is sort of trying to step in and be like a sort of father figure. But like he does, he would suck at it. Yeah. My my personal favorite Zeus moment, and I, I kind of didn't realize it because he's in the guise of I've, Elias, Elias, is that yeah, what it's going by? Uh, yeah. And he's telling the story of the Gigantomachy, and there's the line of, and that's when Zeus uh, introduced negotiation and reason to the world. And I like almost spit up every time because it's like, that is exactly how he would tell that story. Like, again, kind of reliving the glory days. I'm like, oh yeah, badass. I, I think like to, to Eli's sort of um, misgivings, the first four episodes have a lot of exposition yeah. delivered through stories and vases yeah. and memory <laughs> flashbacks. Like they, they, they really are kind of like, I think it like, it's kind of a testament to how much exposition they need to get out there because they keep finding like a different way to do it. <laughs> My favorite is the one where Zeus like picks up a urn that's got the Oneroi yes. on it and he like explains yeah. what dreams are. <laughs> it's like, these are all the different types of dreams. Here you go. Ah, oh, the perfect vase. Yes, right here. Yes, it's very <laughs> convenient that this ostracized poor hovel in the hills has this beautifully decorated black figure vase. Yeah. I, yeah the style, on that note, because like, it, it is a very, like, I mean, it's a myth. So, like, one of the things, like, I feel like when I teach myth and we kind of talk about, like, what is myth, is you kind of say, like, well, it's usually set in some kind of, like, timeless past. Like, it's sort of. And, like, this show, I think, like, smartly is, like, it's sort of classical Greece, but, like, not really and, like, whenever. Like, there's a map of Greece. And they mentioned some real places. I like how they name drop Periander of Corinth, like, yep. real dude. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> who lived. what? <laughs> well, and you know, you're, you know you're in Greece because I have the subtitles on when I watch. And so you, you don't hear it because it's kind of whispered under the breath. But the very first line is, only mm. barbarians drink unmixed wine. And you're yes! like, yes. oh, I know, I'm yes. in Greece. Yes. I, I like, I was watching with Tracy and I like kind of chortled to myself and I like literally, we were like 10 seconds into the show and I was like, okay, I got to pause. I'm like, <laughs> like, let's talk about mixing wine. <laughs> um, I'm a lot of fun to watch these kinds of shows. With, yeah. Should we Poor explain what, what mixed wine is? To- yeah. Well, when, when you have a dinner party and or just a drinking party with all of your somewhat wealthy man friends, in ancient Greece. <laughs> and they're all men. The type of wine that you have is usually really, really concentrated. When you make wine, not in like a professional, I don't even know how they make wine today, like vats and measurements and all that stuff. Um, it can be pretty variable in its alcoholic content. And so a lot of times you water it down so you don't drink one glass and it's like you're on the floor. So you would have, you know, your whole set of mixing goblets where you have the thing that you pour the wine into, the thing that you pour the water from. And that way you can keep drinking more wine because it's less alcoholic in each glass. Um, and you can keep talking about your very important man things all into the night. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like, my rendition. Yeah. Spin the dregs for fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then you swirl it around in your glass and you try to hit stuff off a table with it. Which Great. I have done very hard. <laughs> so hard. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I was doing it sober, but I can't even imagine if you've gotten yeah. really through like the end of that crater of wine to just 
And yeah, as we all know, beer pong's for filthy casuals and real, <laughs> real partiers play catabos, and we we just we 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 throw our wine dregs at like cups bouncing on stands. Well, I mean, I will say, if you're watering your wine, you probably have about the alcohol content of a beer, yeah, like, mm-hmm. in a in a glass. So it's more the equivalent of beer pong, perhaps, than we think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I always describe like. Um, the Kylix as uh, the red solo cup to yeah. my, Ooh, to my like students. That. Yeah. It's like, Kinda you don't have to drink wine out of it, but it's like, if you, you know, see a movie where teens are drinking solo cups in the back of a, you know, somebody's house, uh, what are they drinking? It's probably beer. <laughs> it's probably wine. The, on the sort of note of that, like, listen to the background dialogue because it's like very, I made a note, it's like very on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, where people really are like, what is happening? It is like a little <laughs> weird. But like just listen to the background dialogue. Like if you have subtitles, that really it really like draws it out because it says it. It's like nobody would ever say that. <laughs> yeah, I will say I think one of the things that works the most for this show is the world building and design. Mm-hmm. It is... I mean, the amount of attention paid, and it's probably, you know, the the archaeologist in me is like, ah, the buildings. But the amount of attention paid by the people that did the world building and design and art design for the show, the amount of attention they paid to the details of the ancient Greek world is impeccable. And doing, again, this sort of inversion of reality and like, we won't get to this till next time, but just a lot of really cool things that they're doing with sort of the Doric style on temples and art pieces from the ancient world. Um, the actual palace on Olympus is amazing. Mm-hmm. It is so cool. There's so many details in it. I don't think we've seen it yet, but there's a shot later. And like one of the original design art for Hera, she's got the golden fleece like over her. Um, and she's kind of wearing this big like furry fleece, like it's amazing. Co- I don't know, like shawl basically for lack of a better word. Yeah, no, I love like the design. I re- I really like it. Does like a really nice job. I think of like synthesize, like adding like just a just enough of a dash of modern. And we we talk we could talk about how all the the, the goddesses have like you know everything's perfectly form fitting. But like things like like Apollo has like studs like earring studs in his ear. There's some mundane things in there that are pretty mind blowing too. Because I've listened to some of you guys other guys' episodes. I think you mentioned in the Eagle like they had to have stirrups for insurance. Um, but it, there's a moment where when Alexia shows up, her horse rears up and you see like there is no um, stirrups on her saddle. And then I was really excited for in episode two, I had to like rewind it a couple times and pause it. Um, Electra is placed on a birthing chair, like with the actual mm. cut hole and yeah, everything. Yeah. And so there's little it, it feels like little Easter eggs every time I watch it where like you see the stuff that's really obvious and ornate and, but there's little things that archeologists like us would be like, that is so awesome. It's yeah. in episode one where Heron gets paid with the drachmi and yeah. they're beautiful die cut coins. I mean, just right? like yep. stunning. <laughs> and I like had to pause and I was just like, Oh, I love that. I don't care what Heron's doing. So sad. He's mining all day and only gets to talk me like whatever. (laughs) Those coins, though. Yeah. I really loved the underworld when they did like just the big pan 
of like all the different sections in the underworld. That's my favorite sequence is just that open. I think it's episode four, the opening scene where Hermes collects the soul and brings mm-hmm. it down. I think just everything about that is like wonderfully animated. I really love what they have. They, Hermes is like the flash kind of yes. like he does the thing. <laughs> And he like zips around. Oh, it's like so cool. And like that fight he has with Ares and Apollo yes. is I think kind of great. I do think that's interesting because it it's it's this weird blend of Greek athletic competitions mm-hmm. and also weirdly Roman for some reason. It just rings Roman to me. And maybe yeah. it's just because I've been thinking too much about like Gladiator recently. But <laughs> I just it the the style of fighting doesn't fit with anything that I'm familiar with from Greek athletics, but I'm also not a Hellenist. So, um, oh, I could be making that up, but just these interesting sort of forms of display that get these sort of, I don't know, new threads of other forms of antiquity into it. Yeah. It's also like, what else would the gods be doing with these like divine brothers, except like, right. you know, off with each other and like right. see they can beat each other up like that there are, yeah there are no giants anymore you can't go out exactly. and you know burn <laughs> off all your steam in war so you're not allowed to mess around on earth uh, yeah. unless you're zeus oh. exactly <laughs> i want to know yeah. who the announcer was for that too because he was like hyping it up it's like who is yeah. that <laughs> i love it they just had like there was like a shot where apollo like kind of sails by and he like waves at all the, the women in the crowd yeah. and i was like oh you little like oh man apollo is great in the show i will i i think all of the secondary gods at least as secondary mm-hmm. characters, not necessarily secondary gods, are just so well done. Mm-hmm. They're so good. Mm-hmm. One of the things apparently, like fans kind of not complain, but sort of like called attention to, is that Athena is like conspicuously absent in a lot of the show. Yeah. Um, and they they had idea. I think there are ideas for future. Like one of the other ideas was was blood of Medusa, which would have been like Athena Medusa. And the idea, the way they described it, would be like Athena would be to Medusa what Zeus is to Heron in this show, or something like that. Okay, which okay. is interesting. Yeah. yeah, everyone's making a face for those for our listeners. It goes so wrong or so right, depending. Yeah, I and agree. That's I think what <laughs> Zoe was always pointed out is like I think these. Writers have done a lot of good stuff, but they've done the woman dirty sometimes too. Yeah. And like, we haven't, Mm -hmm. we haven't gotten to like, I like Electra. I feel like still treated horribly, but I liked her as a character. Yeah. Yeah. Alexia kills me on so many levels because she's a militaristic woman, which is pretty plausible, but you had to make her blonde and an Amazon. And I was just like, no, (laughs) make her Spartan and blonde. Or if she's going to be an Amazon, Make her an Amazon, not how does an Amazon become a grand archon of a city state? And it's a battalion. Well, it's, it's, does she even say what she's the grand archon of? It's kind, no. it's very like hand wavy. I kind of assumed that they just used grand archon and then they were like, oh, but it's a military term for her like army. Yeah. Like, uh, she's like, she's, she's some kind of general. It also, it like, it, this is just me being like, like this is like getting really fixed and stuff, but they always they call her the Amazonian, which always like it reminds me they do the same thing in Immortals where they refer to all the Greeks, they've referred them as like Hellenics or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like very it's just like a very sort of strange it just is like a weirdly overwrought way to talk about someone. And then we haven't get we're, we're, we'll talk about it next, but like her she, there's a bit with Chiron where we get yeah. to see Chiron. That's very cool. I have lots of thoughts about all of that. Yeah. I feel like Alexia. Similar to how, and I think 
Hermes as a character inspired um, The Flash. I think what's happened with Alexia is Wonder Woman was too popular. And they're like, that's what we need to do with an Amazon mm -hmm. is we need to portray her like Wonder Woman. And it's like, no, especially as like if you had pulled Atalanta or something that, you know, similar to the Seraphim stories, like I was raised by a she bear and I run really fast and I am awesome. <laughs> it's very easy to have a heroic female character that isn't a military Amazon. Like it, it makes no sense to me. Uh, Alexia feels like, to me, a self-insert fantasy for Alexander the Great, but they didn't Ooh. want Alexander the Great to be a woman mm. because she's got that. She has the Anastoli, if you look. She has she Alexander the Great's, like, that, like, Clark Kent curl that mm -hmm. he has in all of his, like, statuary that we have. She has that. And Heron does, too, to some extent, so I think it might be a broader stylistic trend, but she very specifically has... Alexander the Great hair. Her name is Alexia. She's this like badass military commander. It feel it very feels very Alexander the Great to me. Yeah, I actually like that better. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, just make, yeah. Her, make her Alexandra the Great. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Grand Archon. You know, Grand Alexia. I don't know. <laughs> this I think like Heron and like the, to to bring back into like Castlevania. We're like. Just the, the, the dynamic, particularly of like Trevor and Sypha and Alucard and that, that is like a huge part of why that show, I think, works. And I think this show kind of doesn't, it falls, I think, the human relations to me fall a little flat. And I think particularly because like these characters, like particularly Heron and Alexia are a little bit flat as characters. Like like we're kind of saying, Alexia is just kind of badass warrior, sort of the, the depth, like that seems to be the extent of her interior. Heron is like chosen one. You know, and then and every time they sort of interact in the show, it's always in some kind of fight or action set piece. Like they actually have very, and well, we haven't seen it, I guess, I don't remember, but maybe there's more of this a little bit later where they can kind of flesh out. But thus far, they haven't really had a chance to kind of interact with one another beyond of just we're running for our lives or we're trying to fight demons or or something and so like i keep coming back to transylvania but like the way sypha sort of talks and the way she interacts and like the way her and trevor like respond to a situation is very like indicative of like these very strong just personalities and characters that they have and i don't see that quite here because partially it's just, there's kind of just a lot of things happening that they're just responding to in this show i was just gonna say i think um we get introduced to two of my favorite human characters at the right at the beginning of episode or, yeah. but we haven't gotten mm -hmm. to see their interaction yet. And I think they end up carrying the human side more than uh, Heron and Alexia ever yeah. do. Yeah, there's two guys in the prison. Evias and Kofi, I think are their names. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, Kofi is voiced by uh, Attica Kumbo McCormick. Uh, he's the voice <laughs> of uh, Isaac. Isaac just loved him. I'm like, oh, McCormick. But like, he's the voice of Isaac in Castlevania. Uh, um, okay. So this is a Castlevania podcast now. <laughs> I mean, the last season ended beautifully, and I just loved how everyone's like, oh, God, I'm turning into Trevor. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. It is going to be slightly Castlevania. Well, Castlevania, like, I think like it really is like testament. It's like, it's like a third season. There's this part where Alucard is like he has little dolls made of Trevor and Sypha, and he like does the voices for them and how they respond, and that's like – that kind of like nails it. Yeah. Um, where like you couldn't do something like that in the show because like what is Heron like? It's like the wines. If you watch, if you watch, that like would the, be the Heron action figures. That's something whiny. The red letter media like litmus test for like Star Wars characters. It's like describe the character without describing what they look like or what mm. they do. Sure. 
Well, I think we have to thank Castlevania for Blood of Zeus, technically, because I know Castlevania mm-hmm. came out first. And I will say, so there's a pretty popular meme going around right now where they um, they show a manga version, the animated version, which is always looks like a better manga version, and then what they call the Netflix adaptation, but they mean live action. And it's like, it looks like Guy Ferrari or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I think that's why I love this format, especially because you guys were talking about Immortals and why like Immortals look so awful. Like visually, they're trying to make the gods look fantastic. And unless you have the budget of a, a Marvel movie, you're just not going to pull it off. Versus in animation, it's so mm-hmm. easy and it looks awesome. And you can suspend disbelief a little bit more because it's animated. And you still get the same amount of action and everything. So I I really love this format um, for this because it makes it believable in a way that I don't know live action ever can be in the way it represents gods. Like Heroes yeah. is another thing. But I, I think that's why I, so ex- I like this show so much is like, this is the gods. This is exactly how I believe the gods would interact and look and change form. It's just how I imagine it. Yeah, Eli and I have sort of in the past sort of griped about we're never quite satisfied with live action portrayals of the gods. Yeah. yeah. Which I can, I think I really like all of the character design and, and like the way they move and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But but to Christy's point, like absolutely the success of Castlevania is the reason this show exists because the, the Castlevania was as successful as it was. And then Netflix was kind of shopping around. They're like, we need a, an adult animation kind of anime adjacent thing. And also, and it needs to be in the public domain. And the, and the writers were like, dig dig this (laughs) but and another thing speaking of live action adaptations this is maybe gonna like the missing puzzle piece but the the last project these brothers worked on before blood of zeus was the live action netflix adaptation of death note oh (laughs) that's rough buddy (laughs) okay They've come a long way. This is yeah. so much better. So for our listeners not in the loop, that was a, a live action adaptation of a much beloved anime <laughs> that was very poorly received. Uh, I didn't wow. even watch it and I know that it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's what we call growth in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> I have another thing that I was curious to hear what y'all thought about in sort of recent public dialogues, there's a lot of conversations about kind of uh, white nationalism and the co-opting of classics and this sort of false narrative about a white ancient Greece. And I like that the show attempts to show diversity quite a bit. There's a lot of, uh, I love that the gods aren't all lily white i mean poseidon's kind of like bluish but but there's you know there's actual there's non bright white sort of skin tones present both among the gods and the humans and i was curious about what y'all thought about the success of that i wonder if they maybe fell into the trap with the dark elves of still wanting to have their enemy be so visibly dark skin that it still ends up kind of in this weird like you know the lighter skinned you are, the closer to morally good you are. That like good old Western, like I've got a white cowboy hat, therefore you yeah. know I'm the hero kind of thing. So I was curious about what y'all thought about that. I think I, I mean, when I saw that the like evil demons were basically dark elves, I was like, okay, so we have this sort of black and white type of story. 
Um, and maybe that's sort of how I viewed the rest of it, because I do remember in the episodes three and four where they have all of the like the backstory like Electra and then the maid and the maid's sister all look the same <laughs> and I was like it's animation like couldn't we make them look different and so I think maybe still like the the speaking parts and like the people who are you know actually interacting maybe could still use some more variation and maybe that's also just like because of animation, you have like templates for things. And if you're doing something quickly, like that is also an issue. But yeah, I don't know. Dark elves are very, are very black and white. So I don't know. I guess it didn't stand out to me as being incredibly diverse. I think it could have been, it could have gone farther. Yeah. And I think that's the issue I ultimately have with Alexi too, that if she's going to be an Amazon, like, Look at what Scythian women would have looked like, or even modern examples of uh, women who are in Kyrgyzstan, like darker, thicker hair, more Asian features, like great horseback riders and um, falconers and things like that. And it's like, actually take inspiration from where some of these people, especially if you're painting them as foreign, what does that actually look like? It's not a blonde haired girl, that's for sure. So yeah, she's um, not from Gaul. Yeah. It's funny that actually talking about Amazon as sort of Scythian and more like sort of like Eurasian or Asiatic, but she's Alexia is actually, and we, we singled her out as sort of the blondest of all the characters. She's voiced by Jessica Henwick, who is not a white blonde person. Interesting. Yeah. And she's actually one of, because I was just out of curiosity, because my thought is like, yeah, like like Heron and, and Electra and some of the gods are, you know, you get, you get greater variety of skin tone, but with the exception of Addie McCormick, it's pretty much a lily white cast with the, ex- with the other exception of Jessica Henwick as Alexia. Mm. And it's just kind of interesting because I think that's also really, it's not even for me, it's largely not even it's, it's one step is that the characters themselves are sort of of greater sort of diversity, but I think it really also needs to be reflected in the casting mm-hmm. um, yeah. and who works in the show. And it is, uh, I mean, you, they actually, they actually have a fair amount of Greeks or Greek names. That's great. Uh, funnily enough. But, uh, but yeah, but you have really Addie McCormick and Jessica Henwick. And it's just, it's interesting. Cause I think that is Alexia, I guess could have been exactly like you're describing, like sort of like a, a Scythian. Um, I, I don't know if you did Jessica, she's in love and monsters. I don't know if you've seen that or seen the trailer for I've that. I've seen the trailer for it. She's also she's one of the Sand Sisters in Game of Thrones. Um, ah, she's English. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. I, a Nymeria, but I, I forget which one that is. She's uh, Nymeria Sand. Yeah, they needed to do way more with the Sand Sisters in Game of Thrones. They could have been mm-hmm. so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it makes me because like I so one of my favorite gods that I really hope to see is Dionysus, who's also mm. supposedly from the East, um, but also androgynous in a lot of ways. So it's like, I'd really love to see with them also play more with like sexual and gender identities in that way. And Mm -hmm. I think Dionysus could be a really great character to play with on that. Um, So I'd love to see that more too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We get, I think the last four episodes, if I remember correctly, there's a little bit more sort of sexuality at play, but I, if I remember correctly, it is more of like a, butt, like a, the the butt end of a joke like not mm-hmm. not mm. making fun of it but it's like a little yeah. bit of a joke with this is yeah. i don't want to no spoilers here but there's a whole a whole thing with apollo mm-hmm. which is like great in some ways like it's it's kind of i kind of liked seeing 
that, but um, that can think, be a discussion for next, next yeah, time. Yeah, if maybe. I remember that scene, it reminds me of the three-way that Alucard had, and that went not good for him overall. Mm-hmm. Like, they get really weird about threesomes? sexual, yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> And like, like, is that the only way you know how to depict a like queer sexual relationship? Can you not do a little bit better with this? It cannot. There can no, not be two men having sex if there is no woman involved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I do think. I mean, again, this is probably better discussed uh, next time because we'll get more of Evias and Kofi, but they are strongly queer coded. Mm-hmm. Um, and interesting because they're both people of color in the show i mean especially kofi i mean he's the only explicitly black man that isn't a demon and uh i think that'll be something interesting for next week one thing i'm kind of hopeful for now is like let's get some egyptian gods in here and really like diversify the cast because that could be so fun that would be isis Isis (gasps) please 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 i would love one of the just to circle back around, I, I had it and I forgot it and I brought it back. But Christy, you were talking about Dionysus. And this is on the brain because I recently started playing Hades. <gasps> and I'm obsessed. It's taking over my life. I'm on like my 60th run. Oh, um, my God. Okay. We need, we, we, okay. We need, we need a podcast yeah. for Hades. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I do actually because Christy and Zoe are the ones I want to talk to talk Hades <laughs> yep, about. Yep. <laughs> Eli, you got to start playing this game. Okay. Um, it's... <laughs> I can't sing its praise enough. I oh love God, it. So and just like all of it. I mean, again, also a, a, an active design choice to make every character super hot. Mm-hmm. Which I'm okay with because that's exactly yeah. how mortals yeah. portrayed them, right? Like that's yeah. what we aspire to. Mm-hmm. Hot looking old guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm not complaining. Well, then, then you run into the, oh, what's that statue? The, um, it's the Tivoli General, the one with the... It's like the old man, the old man oh, Roman yeah. veristic like head on top yeah. of like the Greek young man buff body. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, Roman portraiture. I mean That's so much fun. I love a good Roman like sword and sandal flick, but like if the level of attention was paid to art style, as is in Blood and Zeus like Blood of Zeus, mm. let's say it was set in the Roman period, we would just have the ugliest statues everywhere. <laughs> just <laughs> The with, worst. With the, like, meme where it's like, he's a bit confused, but his heart's in the right place. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. For uh, people oh at home, god. look I up the General of Tivoli statue. It's um, it's something. It, it is it exactly. The, the, it, there was a real life sort of parallel in it. I don't know if you've ever read John Stewart's America book, and in it they have it's kind of framed as like a like a textbook, and like at the end of every chapter, there's like exercises and discussion questions and stuff. Yeah. And one of the on the chapter for the Supreme Court, the like exercise is this like it's like, oh no, all the Supreme Court justices are naked. You like cut out and like put their robes back on them. And they have like naked all the Supreme Court justices naked. And one of them, I forget who it is, I think it's like Stephen Breyer, but he's like got like a weirdly buff body. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think about that, I think about the Tivoli general all the time. Oh. I have that book somewhere. I'll have to yeah. find it again. But yes, it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, we mentioned at the beginning, another thing I wanted to talk about was, um, the monsters. Cause that's also like the best part oh, of Greek mythology. They're so monsters. cool. I love the I monster love. design when they were doing like the whole giant story, all the different monsters and the, as giants were so mm-hmm. cool. And they work in the Hecatonchires and the, yes. and the Cyclops. Those are the ones, even though it's not, oh. you know, 
it's a little compl- uh, compounding a couple of myths, but like whatever. Yeah. yeah. But like, I didn't even care. I was like, yes, no. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I could have just watched that sequence over and over again. Like, so really good. cool monster designs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I love that Seraphim is like, screw your winged horse. I want a manicure. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like I launched into this whole like question because there's like a Cerberus basically. There's like the three headed dog. And yeah. at one point, Heron like stabs it in the head, like pins its head, and then it chews off its own head. And then I got down this this like line of thought where it's like, how many heads does Cerberus need to survive? Like just one? Two is like how many how many heads can Cerberus live without? I mean, you only need one brain to function, right? All right. Well, how does Cerberus's brain? Do all brains sh- partake in the in the working of like? Does the middle brain control everything? Right brain, left brain. I don't know. Yeah, when, he bit off his, when Cerberus bit off his own head, is that did he lose all access to creativity? <laughs> Oh, okay, that was that was like one of the sadder deaths that I saw happen. I was yeah. like, no, one of the heads. I hate not, it. And not then the puppy. And then when Seraphin's like bear brothers got killed, I was like, yeah. sad oh, death. Oh. I'm like, how dare you? For- yeah. It's like, I, I don't care about Electra. How dare I, you? Kill I almost bears? don't care about his mother. The bear brothers dying was the worst part. That was the worst. I, yeah. Oh. My heart, my heart broke. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of it is like. Electra is set I mean basically Electra is set up to die yeah right like mm-hmm. the whole issue with the first four episodes is that Zeus is illegally protecting her and the moment he stops he's she's gonna die either because Hera will kill her or Hera will manipulate yeah. someone into killing her and so you start the show with basically an understanding that she's gonna be refrigerated the the mm-hmm. woman in the refrigerator trope of like yep. she has to die so that the main character's story can continue mm-hmm. yep. and so I don't know I never tried to get emotionally invested in her because I was like I know where this is going <laughs> I was 100% the, emotionally invested in those bears <laughs> right the bears didn't have to die they did not. <laughs> well, and I'm very, like, I think I agree with Colin was my favorite moments was the beginning of episode four. And they go through the whole psychopompus. And, oh, like, uh, Caron was one of my favorite representations. Oh my like, so making cool. him not quite, but monstrous. But, like, just, yeah, how are you going to deal with all these wraiths that aren't going to pay me? I'm going to terrify them. And, yeah. okay, yep, and I can understand that. They allude to like that there's like mentors and satyrs and centaurs and stuff just like hanging out in the world. I want to get, I think we see some of them, but like, I want some minotaurs. Um, Yeah. Well, and I have a very, very strong feeling like making a prediction now for the next season that there is going to be an underground uh, motif because that is a pretty heroic thing to do. Heracles, Mm -hmm. Theseus, Orpheus does not do a good job of it, but like, um, yeah. So I'm curious to see if it would be a matter of, Heron going after his mom and if they're talking about Hera having a redemption arc I don't want to give anything away but I could see her having to partner up mm-hmm. with Heron um, to help out with that do we think that they're going to bring Persephone into the mix then I hope so mm. yes please I hope so but I hope they do good by my girl <laughs> that's one of the things I, I love about Hades the game is is that it's like a Trojan horse for a Persephone myth and then it's a yeah. Trojan horse for like a parent trap, but like um. <laughs> truly, truly. I was Hades so confused Colin. at the beginning of that game. I'm like, oh what? God, so good. What? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> but I, I wonder if they could potentially because like Hera, like this, I think often is forgotten, but she's also a patron of heroes occasionally, particularly Jason. She's Jason's patron, and then 
you know, Heron, Hera, Heron, Hera, uh, Hera as sort of a guiding or like a, the sort of Heron, Hera, man, the writers really like, <laughs> but like that dynamic and like them, cause like she has every reason to hate him, but like maybe there's something like that's a relationship I, I would like to see sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah tooled out yeah and i think if their names i mean obviously they're a little confusing when you're trying to discuss them but i mean you think about i mean the naming isn't an accident right it's very much the sort of hera heracles like Mm -hmm. i'm Mm -hmm. gonna name the child who's the sort of enemy of hera after hera and i think it i think it would be really interesting to see how their stories are sort of perpetually linked Mm -hmm. um and having to come to terms with the fact that they have both been wronged by the same person mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. and that it's not they are not they shouldn't be angry with each other yes yeah, yeah they have oh. no beef you guys yeah. are making me excited to watch the second half of this <laughs> i was like I'm not into it that too. wasn't my intention but <laughs> <laughs> i'm excited to see the second half again too like i held off rewatching it because i didn't want to yeah. give yeah like I, too much away in this discussion yeah. it, it's easy to binge it's a real bingeable it's show so it's like, quick. yeah i was yeah. like snap 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 oh okay it, it's like the it, you actually end up drinking more when you have smaller cups or something like that it's like same <laughs> idea yeah i think that's why it works too is like this mini series thing because we i think you guys have talked a few times mm-hmm. about your podcast or like what is the best format and i think telling the story in eight bite-sized things where like it, it does feel like there's a lot of exposition thrown at you but it's it's only 30 minutes Right. With mm-hmm. some yeah. other action going on. So it feels like a lot, but it's it's not really compared to what other you know, four hour length movies you might have to sit through and get the same exposition. True. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think part of that is aided by the fact that I, one of the beautiful things about television is that you have both the broad arc of an entire season and you might have smaller arcs within that, but that each episode has to have an arc. Mm-hmm. There has to be a climax of action and so that's why i feel like tv shows are so easy to binge generally but also when they've been condensed in this format where you have it all available at your fingertips thank you netflix like it's so because the energy never you're never built it's never you never have a two towers moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) like here's an entire movie of building slow action (laughs) for the entire third movie payoff I need to get some more water. I'm sorry. I'm dying. We have no air conditioning. So I just, I need to get more water. I'll be right back. Get out. I'm going to go back and like edit in Eli, like throwing a fit. (laughs) I hate it. I hate you guys. I quit. I think part of the reason why I was so hard on Blood of Zeus when it first came out is because it came out like a month after Hades and Mm. Hades is so We'll have to come back and talk about this this game because I mean I'm reading the two sort of one because I'm playing the game now but I think it, they do sort of beg to be read side by side mm-hmm. but we we are gonna have to come back and talk about this game yeah uh, see and I'm afraid like I that was the thing I was like I didn't want to talk about that game too much especially with Elijah or you should have disappeared for longer but it was just um, yeah. <laughs> it was the fact that there is this aspect of Hades so I think we mentioned like Athena is noticeably absent. Um, Hades especially so. And then I I caught up on some uh, foreshadowing in one of the episodes I hadn't noticed before. So besides Cerberus, there's like, where's Seraphim getting all these monsters? Like, mm-hmm. why does he have Cerberus? For one thing, because like that that's kind of like man's best friend, Hades' best friend right there. But the other thing was um, when Seraphim finds the soldiers that uh, follow Alexia and he's, 
or like one of his fathers is like convert or die. And one of mm-hmm. the last lines, one of the last things that is said by one of the soldiers right before he's killed is Hades and mm-hmm. then is killed. And that's really interesting because you don't want to say his name out loud because you're inviting death. So I'm wondering if that was evoking that idea of like he's choosing death by saying Hades or if there's something more to that, like if there was something off scene, because like most all the soldiers have died. I think we don't see the fight where Alexia's group is found by the demons. Um, We just Mm kind of see the massacre that occurred. So like I find that word very interesting in that context and that you could just write it off as one way of choosing death or there's something else going on in that moment, which Makes sense once you see the end of the season, so. Can't wait. <laughs> nice. We'll, we'll talk, we'll end up talking about Hades yeah. a lot next time, so. Yeah. 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 Uh, any, is there anything else that we want to make sure is is heard before we depart? Our discussion has made me like this boar more than yeah. I did before. No, there's, yeah. there's some good insights that you guys have had there. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't, like, Alexia as Alexander. It's like, I like that better. I like, I do. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. going to go with that option right now, so. I mean, well, that's all that mythology really is, is just fan rewrites for a thousand years. <laughs> it's just self-insert Alexander the Great. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our new literary theory, is that all characters are actually just Alexander the Great, even before <laughs> Alexander the Great, Achilles. That was Alexander the Great before Alexander the Great happened. Yeah, it's um, pre-saging Medea, Alexander, Alexander the Great. The great. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's all a grand Alexander romance. That's all <laughs> <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> Little Women, that's just three Alexander. Um, (laughs) Uh, in that moment they were all alexander yep we should like uh our our new trend is like describe a movie but only using alexander i love it oh gosh all right in that case i think we can start winding down before we sort of sign off christy and zoe are there any you want to make any plugs for where people can find you on the internet or anything they should be cluing into or watching or reading or anything like that um you can find me on twitter at cm vogue like the magazine or you can follow me on instagram where i'm a lot more fun at dr.c.vogler and uh ironically i my friend got me a book called gods behaving badly and it's about the greek gods being in a london townhouse and apollo works as a television psychic it's great (laughs) So um, if you want a more spoofy version of what the Greek gods are up to, uh, that might be a fun, low stakes read for you. Um, I am not currently on social media at the moment, so sadly you cannot find me anywhere, but you'll just have to come back for the next episode of the podcast <laughs> to hear me talk more. Um, see, media recommendations. Actually, I just have one from Eli. So I just read a book that Eli's been trying to get me to read for a very long time called Six of Crows. Um, (laughs) Colin knew what it was already. (laughs) I I was torn because I had a couple options. I thought it might be something else, but I'm so glad you said Six of Crows. I stand for that. I love a good heist book, and um, this is an exceptionally good heist book. So yeah. I highly recommend it. And if you've already read it and you're looking for another heist book that's a little bit darker, um, The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch is equally as good in a different way. Nice. So, right on. Heists everywhere. Yes. We love a heist. All right. 
in that case, yeah, thank you both so much for coming. Thanks, guys. For our listeners, remember, you can find us at, at DigMovies at, on Twitter or uh, MoviesWeDig.com. Please listen. Rate, I mean, obviously, you're already listening, but rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, and thank you, Christy, and thank you, Zoe, so much. This was a wonderful episode, and I'm looking forward so much to finishing this up next week yes. with the last four episodes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for then, having us. Yes. Thank you. And hopefully we'll get a second season soon so we can keep this train rolling. Please yeah. Come, it's we, supposed we to. We come back every time. Like, like this is a good combo. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Yeah. I know. Next week when we bring Christy back, she's going to be a hat trick. So it's going to be a, a three-peat guest. Woo. Um, yeah. Nice. All right, I have to I have to run because I'm I'm late to my next engagement, which is Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Meet you there. <laughs> <laughs>